You're listening to episode two of the Inconvenience Podcast featuring Nick Molas. Welcome to the second episode of the Inconvenience Podcast. I'm Frank Beard. And I'm Al Abeer. And Al, we've got a really good guest this time. I'm really excited for this. Oh, me too. We're going international here at Inconvenience. That's right. We've got Nick Mollis as our guest for a second episode. Now, a couple things I do want to mention. I'm posting bios for all of our guests on inconveniencepodcast.com on their episode page. Um... I feel awkward reading bios when I'm moderating a panel, and I, it's just not something I like doing. I don't think listeners want to listen to long bios, but I want to give all of our guests a chance to have that information out there. So please check that out. There's additional information there as well. But I met Nick. Uh, I was over in Sydney earlier this year speaking at the Axe Convenience Leaders Summit and thought, I'm in Sydney, Australia. I want to go look at some retailers. And so Nick actually, with a buddy of his, put together a really cool uh just right around Sydney. And we went into so many different convenience retailers, small format grocers, and it was a great experience. And I thought, wow, it'd be so fun to have someone come on and talk about um, not just what's going on in the Australian retail market, but also just someone else's perspective on what's happening here in the US. Uh, It's not from the US. And turns out Nick was at the NAC show. So we got together in Al's hotel room and recorded our second episode. Yeah, and it's pretty interesting. I tell you, from, from my standpoint, I was uh, fascinated by the difference between uh, the way C-stores are run in Australia and some of the uh, regulations they have to deal with as opposed to the way it is over here. So I think, uh, you know, if you're listening, you're going to really, really enjoy what Nick has to say. Yeah, the thing that always gets me is when I go out, go out of the country and I see how the tobacco looks so different. I mean, yeah. <laughs> some of those photos are disgusting. I saw some in Germany earlier this year, too, where... Oh my God! I mean, I don't even know if I should say what was on the packages. They were terrible, and and the price. Good Lord, the price in Australia is unbelievable. Yeah, I'm. We're we're in a store, and um, you know they had this like black cabinet that all the cigarettes are behind, and they had a uh, piece of paper taped to it with the pricing. And I mean, unless I unless my memory is wrong here, I swear some of those were like fifty Australian dollars for a pack of cigarettes, and I was like, wow, how do? I mean. Not to take a side on this one way or the other, I, I guess I'm just sitting there thinking like, wow, how does a smoker afford to smoke there? That's insane. I, I can't figure it out. And of course, obviously, what they're trying to do is, you know, make them so expensive that people won't smoke. But it's just stunning how much those things cost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that just blew my mind. But there's a lot of cool things happening in, in the Australian retail market. In fact, I actually wrote an article. It was in the October 2019 issue of Nax Magazine that um, reached out to a number of leaders and, um, you know, in that channel and got their input on what's happening. And I was pretty proud of this article. So if you're a subscriber, I definitely tell you to check it out. But um, yeah, let's just get right into the podcast. I We talked to Nick for almost two hours and we cover so much ground, everything from the differences between Australia and the US to um, what's happening with Generation Z and some of the differences in their behavior to, I mean, Nick had a pretty cool bar he ran in his early 20s that we get into as well. Yeah, it'll be fun. I think you'll enjoy it. All right. Well, with further no further ado, let's uh, get into the second episode of the Inconvenience Podcast.
Nick, I got to ask, you know, you set up a store tour when I came to Australia to speak recently, and something struck me as really interesting. Australia is almost the same size as the 48 states in terms of landmass, but you have about, I think it's about 7.5% of the population, and 50% of them are in three cities. That was really unique, and how does that, how does that pose challenges for convenience stores? Wow, what a, what a great question to open up with in your first podcast, seriously. Yes, it, it does pose um, interesting questions to the convenience industry in Australia. And uh, I, I reflect on what I see in the US and, and it's built around mass scale, right? And we don't get that in Australia. So what, what, what I think we see in the Australian market is, is a bit of dueling uh, format, right? And those major cities you talk about, they do have high population but they're quite dense. So the mat or the size of property that a convenience store can sit on is quite tight. So they become very good at utilizing their space well, both internally and externally, and the products they market. As you go more regional, we can get larger format stores, but of course their population density is smaller. So you see a really different play in regards to maybe food service or product in store and how they attract their customers. So I think Australia has um, several rails in regards to the way people attack convenience. Um, and, uh, and I think that is born out of the fact that we have great distance. Uh, we have tight population in three major cities. Uh, and we have, because of that, some real uh, differences in the way our supply chain works and the way our customers think. Yeah, because wouldn't that be hard to ship... Um I mean, let's say like frozen, frozen food even, like doing cold storage. Um, I mean, it, it seems like that would make a supply chain really tricky to have that kind of vast distance. Yeah, it does. And it's really in this new modern food service age in convenience, which is really built around fresh and, and, and that fresh food to go for the customer. You know, I always used to joke ages ago, I've, I, I have a, a lot of regional service stations and fresh for me was Tuesday because the truck would come from the major town to my service station on a Tuesday. And, uh, and I'd get the fresh cut sandwiches and the salads and things and, and uh, put those in store. And they'd either sell through or, or, or fall out of date range by Wednesday or Thursday. And then everything became back to that, uh, you know, that more frozen style product, that less fresh product. We are seeing the supply chain get a whole lot better in Australia and, and you know, there are a few more fresh days. Um, and we're seeing retailers in Australia and, and you know, hopefully as we go through this podcast and with, with it being moving into the future past show one, you get to talk to some of the guys from Australia who run these stores. But, you know, people like uh, Jack and & Co and, and, uh, who on a small scale is really trying to drive fresh uh, both regionally and in the major cities. You've got Caltex, a big corporate at the other end, who's doing it uh, in, a, in a really organised way, in a, in a larger format, and, uh, and they're utilising fresh really well. And then you get all these levels in between. So I think we're, we're, seeing some, we're seeing the supply chain being forced to catch up with convenience in Australia, and I think that's really working well. Yeah, and Jack and Co really caught my interest um, because I walked in that store, and it's hard. It's, it's really kind of hard to put into words, but it felt like you're in the presence of a brand that somebody would wear on their T-shirt. Like, I, I mean, it, it felt like it had some some soul to it. And yeah. I mean, we saw people in there who I, 
That one guy said he brings his sales clients to the store because it's laid back, it's relaxed, they can like sit down and, you know, oh, and sign on the dotted line. You know, it's just like a little community store. And it was, it, it, it was a great place. I mean, they were doing a fundraiser when we came in. It was 35K and was it 35 days? Nice. Yeah. Uh, as a local individual who was injured playing rugby. And he needed some equipment in the house to help uh, because he became a, uh, well, just got very injured. And so they raised this money to help his family so he could have at-home care yeah. and stay at home. And like seeing that, that's, that's cool. Yeah. And, and look, it's, you're right about it being a community store and it's developed a, a, a great, in a very short period of time, it's developed a brand that, that really feels like you own it. Uh, I don't, meaning I congratulate Wade for doing it, uh, but it's really got that sense to it. And uh, you're right about it, it, a brand that would feel good on your shirt, you know, it's that sort of brand. I see a lot of um, probably the more independent retailers um, being that sort of business. You know, we, in our business with our Endeavor branded sites and, and our BP branded sites, we, we want to be known as, as the family business. We want to be known as that business in town that, that employs people in your family, that serves people in your family, that are run by people who know those family values. Uh, you know, Wade's really big on that. He's huge on community, you know, and making sure that community feels comfortable with, with what he's doing for them. Um, so, you know, there are... There are def- definitely different feelings when you walk into any convenience store, whether it be in Australia or the US. Uh, and some of those that, that create that iconic feeling really move forward. And, uh, and, you know, I think we're seeing that with Jack & Co at least. Yeah, and, you know, Al, we were talking about Australia too. And uh, you were mentioning, well, in, in fact, yeah. The meat pies? Yeah, the meat pies. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I, 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 I tend to focus more on food. And I like the food that's, you, you know, the, the kind of food that you might get at home. And uh, so today Frank sent me a text. We're at the Knack Show here in Atlanta. And uh, said, you got to try these meat pies. And there were Australian meat pies. And the name of the company again? Uh, uh, four and 20. It four was. and 20? Yeah, so Patty's Pies. My God, these things were good. And, uh, of course, I'm from Louisiana. And, and <laughs> I hate to bring up a controversial issue here. But Nick. Uh, we invented meat pies in Louisiana, and, and I, I know the Australians think you invented meat pies. Uh, I guess we shouldn't discuss that, but these things are really good. How, I mean, are, are those kind of – are you getting a lot of those kind of products in your stores over there that are just uh, – I mean, they're coming from somewhere else. I'm used to a lot of people who, who cook in the stores, but this mm. was an amazing product. Yeah, well, I'm going to cover one thing first, right? And I could have agreed or at least debated the idea about the fact that in Louisiana, you guys may have invented pies first until you said that they were fried. Right. We fry right? everything. <laughs> pies are baked. And, uh, and, and if there is a baked pie, uh, then Australia invented it. And, uh, and we, in fact, 4 and 20, there used to be a song uh, in Australia that went... Uh, uh, football, meat pies, kangaroos and Holden cars, right? <laughs> and so that was almost a national anthem in Australia. So, so I, won't, I won't sing it in tune, but again, it was football, meat pies, kangaroos and Holden cars. You know, uh, if, we had, if you brought that pie to Louisiana, we would deep fry it. 
Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. Oh, no yeah. doubt about it. Okay. But this was a great pie, and I was impressed with the the everything about it. And the filling was it, it more of a gravy filling. Our pies and our meat pies in Louisiana, or or it's more ground beef, not much uh, much of a gravy in more it. Dry rub. Very dry, and then and you you know deep deep fried for a long time. Yeah. So so look, the pie is an Australian staple, and uh, the good thing about pies for convenience is that. Look, they can be shipped frozen, mm-hmm. right? But they still reconstitute into a into a great looking product. They've got they've got, you know, the pastry and the gravy and the meat. You know, it's something that Australians would uh, would see as the staple of a convenience outlet. Uh, you guys might say for you here that might be a hot dog or something of that Chicken nature. Chicken tenders, something Chicken like that. Chicken tenders, yeah. those sorts of things. But the thing with the pie, it's um, it can be a good grab-and-go food, right? Because you can reheat it while it's still covered. You can keep it in the pie warmer for a period of time. So, so those convenience stores that that are deeper into the supply chain from the point of view of further away from point of origin, they can use that pie as a good lead-in. But a lot of them are moving towards uh, gourmet pies, uh, where it is it's more of a service pie. So the 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 operator or the the attendant at the service station would grab it out of the heater and put it in a paper bag for you. And we're seeing one group, United Petroleum in Australia, who own the Pie Face brand. And they're really using the pie as their key draw card for their convenience um, uh, cafe service outlets. And, uh, and that's going to be, meaning that, that hopefully is taking that piece of food service to a higher level. I think we saw, and, and Frank, you went to the store, uh, Eddie Nadar at Urban Nista, Oh, is, is really using the pie as a driver for them well. uh, and, uh, and getting great success. Um, but I suppose when it comes to how you couple that with other things in the store, I think one of the real drivers in Australia um, that I don't know that I've noticed yet here in the US uh, is good coffee. Good coffee. Good barista coffee. Now, um, I know that uh, the US exported Starbucks to the world. <laughs> Thank you for that, I think. Um, but real coffee is something that's becoming a really big draw card for convenience in Australia. And it can be coupled with things like sandwiches and muffins and, and cakes and the pie. And uh, that's, been a, that's been a real win, I think, for Australians. You know, something that caught my attention, though, about Urbanista, when we went and visited that store. So the meat pie, I believe, it started off being frozen, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I had, I think it was a spinach and ricotta, maybe, meat pie. It was yeah, absolutely did. fantastic, by the way. But the presentation, it was, not only was it flaky and just perfectly done, but it was brought over on a wooden serving board, like a wooden cutting board. Oh, nice. And just that little touch raised a profile of that almost exponentially. And then when, when you guys were having coffee, they, brought, they had little coffee cookies. Yes. And porcelain, you know, buy the porcelain cups. And that's, that's such a nice touch that you don't necessarily expect from a service station. No, not at all. And the fact that, that you know, a few of these stores that we saw, you know, Urbanista and uh, Jack and & Co and the foodery, they all had cafe areas set up. They had, even in a really, this was in the middle of a capital city tight land format for the service station to be on yet in their stores they created that social space where people could sit and you, and you spoke about that that customer at one of the stores he said you know i bring my meetings here and and uh 
and make people feel comfortable about their environment. Get a good coffee. Now, who would have thought of that at a, at a convenience store, at a service station of all things um, in the past? But that's really becoming uh, the norm. And that, that level of food service that we are now providing through the convenience store, um, porcelain cups, serving on boards, the attendant brought the food over to us, you know, all those things is really lifting that experience. Let's talk a little bit about the past because in, in, in America, uh, and, and of course we deal with this all the time, is people don't consider a convenience store a place to go and get food. Uh, historically in Australia, uh, have convenience stores had a similar reputation like you know, there's a lot of commercials like, I'm not going to eat a gas station hamburger or gas station sushi. What, historically, how have things been in Australia and, and has it changed? Yes. And look, the, I suppose the evolution has been similar. Um, and, and yeah, the service station was always where the car got serviced. It wasn't where you, where you filled yourself with food. You might have got a, a Coca-Cola and a, and a Mars bar or an or a, uh, ice cream but never something of, of great quality. And that reputation did stay for, uh, has stayed for a long period of time. You know, it, it's still viewed as a, as a greasy uh, car environment and not a food environment. But look, I think that's changing from the point of view of um, the car these days, especially in the capital cities, isn't necessarily the way you get to the outlet, right? People will walk up, they'll ride up uh, and, and experience it in a whole different way. And I think you do get that the customer who just wants to fill their car, come in and, and go. And that's great. And, and that's a service that we need to continue to offer in the petrol convenience um, uh, environment that we produce. But look, if we're going to survive into the future, then we do need to convince that consumer that we're good at what we do when it comes to food service. And, um, and I think there's also a middle ground that needs to be uh, one and, and convenience needs to stake their flag there because you know people talk about QSRs, uh, you know, drawing people in with with big strong food offers and all those sorts of things, and then you've got this this really quick food to go area, uh, which some of us play in really well. Uh, I think there's a middle ground. There's a balance between both, and I think what I'm seeing with petrol convenience in Australia is that we're starting to fit that middle ground, and uh, and I think. Um, I think that's still going to take some time to get the customer to really understand it. And what, what's going to have to happen is um, the, the rising tide is going to need to lift all boats because if, if we have one that's sitting too low in the water and is a bit more traditional, right, people are going to think, well, hang on, is this, is this an industry that's doing it well across the board and sh should I be actually going to the local cafe rather than the local service station? So I think it's important that as an industry we bring everybody up and, and, and we, we talk boldly about those people who are doing it well, you know, and I, I love coming to NACS and hearing about, you know, if, if I walk into a room, I hear about Sheets, I hear about Wawa, I hear about Cumberland Farms, I hear about all these guys who are doing some great things in, in quite uh, individual large format stores, but also across large format chains. But then I also hear about small guys who are, who have got maybe one or two stores only who are trying these new things and being really inventive about what they do. And what, what I think we're seeing in Australia now is that starting to happen as well. And I think that's really exciting. And I think we, we see what our, what our um, you know, brethren in, in other countries have been doing and, uh, and really 
um, we've got a lot to share. And, and uh, you know, when I look at what we're doing together to bring that tide up for all of us. So are you seeing from scratch cooking now in some of these stores where they're cracking eggs over a grill and doing bacon in front of you? And in Probably not so much in the city stores, but definitely in the regional stores. Um, I, I know that there's a lot who, who go back to the most basic ingredient they can get to, right? And, and prepare in store. And preparing in store is really good. And, and Frank, you and I, we had this discussion where we were talking about the packaged sandwiches at, at Jack & Co, right? Because meaning a sandwich is a sandwich is a sandwich until you get to see one that's actually got theatre to it. And what I mean by theatre is, I mean, I grew up in hospitality. I grew up in food service. My, my father owned restaurants for years, right? And, and he always drummed into me that it's about the presentation. It's about how you put it in front of somebody. And, and when you look at a sandwich that still may be fresh, but packed in a different environment to the service station, delivered in a truck and the like, right? It, it's lost its air. It's lost its, dense, uh, its density, those sorts of things. And when you see it fresh made, packaged there and put out, it's got all that beautiful theatre to it. So I think um, convenience operators need to be brave to do some of those things, in my view, because it, it is what makes the customer go, wow, look at this. Um, so I think we need to find that good blend. Um, I don't know that we, I, I, you know, if we try to go too far one way, we'll add labour cost and all these other things that may restrict us in how we sell it. Uh, by, by creating from, from its most basic ingredient. But I think if we go too far, this just bring everything to me and I'll heat it up or do whatever, we lose the theatre that might be part of it as well. So I think there's there, some people, you know, I think Urbanista's doing it. I think Foodery's trying to do it. I can see Jack and Go doing it. So yeah, there's, and, and we only talk about those brands. We haven't, I mean, we didn't go to Melbourne, so we haven't seen brands there. We're talking about Sydney centric. But, um, but yeah, there's, there's, I don't know, I, 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 maybe I'm passionate around food myself, but I think that there is a theatre that we can bring to the, to the business. You know, speaking of, speaking of Melbourne, um, at the Expo, I had a chance to meet the marketing director for Bowser Bean Cafe. Ah, and I believe that's Vantage Fuels, correct? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so I, I wrote an article in, in this month's issue at Nax Magazine that's at the show about the Australian market. And thanks again to everyone listening who provided quotes to that. I'm really proud of what I put together there with your help. But I talked to the marketing director at Bowser Bean and he said something. He said, we tried to do like Vantage Fuels Cafe, something similar to that. And it just didn't really resonate. So they took sort of the Melbourne Cafe and put together this amazingly designed like store layout. It's absolutely beautiful how, I mean, how well the store looks. It just, it doesn't even look like a service station. And um, they've got a really compelling food offer. They're starting to deliver on Uber Eats. And he pointed out, he said, when people get on Uber Eats on that marketplace and they see not Vantage Fuels, but they see the Bowser Bean logo, they don't know it's coming from a convenience store unless they've actually been there before. Um, I got on Facebook and looked at the announcement for their Uber Eats delivery at one of the stores. And I think someone just simply said, yeah, boy, you know, when he saw that they were delivering. Um, but yeah, it's really, it's, it's, it's really neat. Speaking of Melbourne, though, um, I hear that that's basically the coffee capital of the world. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I mean, you, ev- meaning every corner used to have a service station on it. Now every corner's got a coffee shop on it, uh, whether it's in the <laughs> petrol convenience outlet or, or somewhere else. It is. It is coffee heaven. 
And, uh, you know, even here in Atlanta last night, I had to find myself an Italian restaurant for dinner. And when I walked in, before I even ordered my pasta, my spaghetti meatballs, which I was dying for, I said, have you got real coffee? <laughs> I had a double espresso. <laughs> now, for anyone, for anyone listening who doesn't understand, what is real coffee? Uh, real coffee comes, it's barista made out of, uh, out of, out of one of those, uh, you know, pressure... Um, uh, ground bean uh, under pressure with the water coming through it. So yeah, definitely, um, definitely. And you've got to make sure it's got a nice crema on it. So it's got to have that nice gold cream uh, when you draw the coffee through it. Uh, when you draw the water through the coffee. So, you can yeah. see. I I, I know it's uh, stations in the U.S. Um, I mean, drip coffee is so popular, but I can see from the look on your face that's not. <laughs> no, that's not coffee. That's. That, it, look, it's not bad in some locations, but it's flavored hot water. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. You know, I went to something in Tennessee that really blew me away, though. Um, so twice daily out there, they've got a pretty good number of, of, of stores around the area. And out in Nashville, they it's kind of like what happened with, I think, Bowser Bean Advantage. They had created this, um, this, this brand called White Bison. And I mean, it just looks like a coffee shop because it is a coffee shop. They even made their own standalone location. But I go in the station, which is a beautiful station, by the way. Everything just done right. Um, but they had a third wave coffee program inside of there where they literally have um, pour over machines built into the countertop that dispenses the right temperature of water. They had single origin beans. I think mine was Costa Rican, the one that I had. They were not measured out. I mean, in vials, they were weighed in vials. So they have the right weight of the coffee and they'd pull the cork off, put it in the machine and grind it up and then put it into a pour over. And I want to say it was a little less than $4. I mean, don't quote me on the price because I'm kind of forgetting, but this was right across the street from a Starbucks. And I'm sitting here thinking, one, this is amazing. Mm. There was, I guess, you know, I was later to coffee to really enjoy it. And I think as I look back, it's because I never really had good coffee. And so when you taste something that's really astringent or really acidic and just gross, um, it turns you off from the whole category. You know, I grew up watching my parents, like, open up a Folgers can. And there was nothing off-putting in this coffee that they produced. It was all delicious. And to top it off, their Wi-Fi speed was five times of the Starbucks across the street. So, I mean, I was like, if I'm working from from a place, I'm going to go there. Um, but so we do have some stuff happening here that hopefully is not, um, you know, too far behind the curve compared to, like, Melbourne. Yeah, well, look, meaning I'd say on coffee you're behind, uh, but you'll probably catch up because I'm, I'm getting a sense that, that there's really a, a, a change um, going through the US when it comes to coffee. I, I get a sense of that. But what I see here, meaning this, this level of food service around, you know, sub sandwiches, around uh, some of that cooking in store, um, we've got a lot to learn from the US about that. Um, you know, we're still we're still in this grey area where where you've got the traditional convenience. Let's go in, get a pie, get a get a can of Coca Cola, maybe a, a, a some sort of lolly uh, or confectionery, you know, uh, ice cream. And then we've got this other end, and we've got whereas whereas I see, we, you know, we've got the other end where where we're making stuff in store and those sorts of things. But I don't see yet that we're, we're, we're seeing the level of um, technology coming into our uh, service of that product, uh, the level of um, choice coming in, those sorts of things that, you, that you, you get to see here. You know, to think that, that in the US, one of the highest selling pizza chains is actually a convenience store chain. 
you know, that's just that just blows me away. I think that's fantastic. We're one of the highest selling, you know, sandwich chains. That that Sheets Sub Sandwich is one of the highest and and best rated. We're not there in Australia yet. That's meaning if there was a goal for the industry, it would to be at that level. Yeah, and I think you raise a good point too. Um, you know. We all remember a couple years ago when McDonald's introduced touchscreen kiosks. Mm. And I remember it was just everywhere. Everyone's talking about touchscreens are in McDonald's. Oh, my gosh. It's always kind of viewed through the lens of labor issues and whatnot. And, I mean, it was uh, yeah, that's a big deal. But I guess I was sitting here thinking, I mean, Sheets put touchscreen ordering in their stores in the late 90s. Yeah. Wawa did it in the early 2000s, I believe. Um, I mean, fuel and convenience stores have been really ahead of the curve when it comes to that sort of personalized choice for food service. And... I mean, Sheets will try to upsell you on their touchscreen, which is brilliant. I've worked in a restaurant. It's basically printing money. I mean, you just got to ask a question and yes or no. Um, but, you know, I, I was down at a Bucky's recently, and I just they have a great fish taco. It's amazing. Um, it's like a, I believe it's fried cod. It's got some, um, like, shredded cabbage, amazing sauce. But I, I'm just not a big Pico fan. And what I loved about their touchscreens is not only can I say what I want double of, because I was actually hungry and wanted, like, double fish, but... I, don't, I, I didn't want any Pico. It goes to a screen that says, what do you want none of? And there's times that I've been in, like Starbucks, for example, where they had something in the cooler I really wanted. But I had one ingredient that turned me completely off from the product. And so I love the fact that you can go to a convenience store and literally just get exactly what you want in so many cases. What it's, a classic. What don't you want? That's I a, love that question. I mean, that if is you think about one. it, what if you go in with a kid who, well, there's a green item on there. I don't want that. Or sometimes people are picky. Or sometimes people, it's not that they will refuse to eat it it's just that they'd rather not have it like i mean i like i don't particularly like tomatoes on my pizza but i'll eat it but if i'm given the choice i'll go without it and it's like that just i feel like makes the offer so much more convincing but i was at the national restaurant association show earlier this year and i ran into a company called bite these guys have a, a touchscreen kiosk that can literally scan your face and pull up your past order goodness wow. me and so it's interesting to see where, where, that's, where, where that's going. But, I, yeah, I'm with you. I feel like that's kind of a U.S. thing at the moment. Yeah, yeah look, it is. I think we're, we're not seeing that level of disruption yet in the Australian industry. And I think, look, part of it's because, you know, there, there's an investment to be made and you, you've got to look at the return you're going to make from that. But I also think there's some courage. When you, when you think about family businesses like Sheets, because that's where it started, right, and, and they had the courage to say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to disrupt before disrupt actually became a word for commerce, you know. And, and here we are, we're going we're gonna to do this, right? And, and a couple of things about that. One is that you've got the courage to do it. The other is, is that in these, um, well, they're a big organisation now, but, but at the time when they were making some of these really critical first stage decisions, they're a very nimble business, Right? They, could, they could make it. They could, they could go and fail and go again and fail and go again and, wow, we hit it and, and off we run and let's make the next decision. And I think, I think um, what, what we see with convenience in Australia is there is a group of people who are starting to feel like that. They're starting to feel courageous about doing something. And a lot of that's got to do with the way... Um, the ownership of the stores has changed over time, the way, you know, it, 
the store's always been driven by fuel and the fuel brand that you were and and that dictated what you did in the store because that brand said well you know we want to make sure that 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 when the consumer sees our brand they see this level of quality now we can debate whether an oil company's level of quality for a store is good or bad you know and and uh, i have my very defined opinions about that and i think a lot of people people in australia know that um but now what we're seeing is the the oil companies, the people who are supplying you the fuel, are saying, you know what, we're not great retailers, and if you independently own this store and this is what you want to do, go ahead and, and do it. And that's now giving those people with the, with the drive and the passion and the courage to go off and try things. So I think we'll start to see that in Australia, we'll start to see those changes. Like we've seen here with, you know, it's, it's so cool that, that in the US, when we talk about petrol convenience, we've got all these, these great what I would call independent brands in there, right? They're not part of the Seven Sisters. They're not part of the breakup of Standard Oil. They're Sheets and Wawa's and Bucky's and Quick Trip and, and, you know, all those. And I don't know every one of them. And now in Australia, we're starting to say names like Jack & Co, Urbanista, Endeavour, Budget, you know, all these different sort of brands. And I think that's going to be the catalyst for change. You know, speaking of coffee, though, um, I noticed there seem to be two very different opinions down there. We, we, we went into, well, we went into a 7-Eleven, for example, and, I mean, for, like, just a quick in and out, I need a couple things. Like, it was a really cool setup, to be honest. I actually really liked the graphics they had in the store. Um, mm, it's, yeah. It almost felt kind of like urban graphics in a way, like yeah, almost street yeah. art. Yeah. It, it was really cool. Um, but I heard that they're selling something like 80 million cups of coffee a year. They sell a lot. But... You know, they, they introduced for the first time dollar coffee, mm-hmm. right? So they brought dollar coffee to, to, to the Australian market. Now, look, they did it well in that they did a, they did a fresh bean, fresh milk product at a dollar. Uh, and that, you know, we, as indus- other industry operators, we looked at that and went, oh, goodness me, you know. And, and people would say, well, you can sell anybody something for a dollar, you know, when the rest of us are trying to sell it for maybe $3.50, $3.80, that sort of thing. Um, and... Look, for that style of customer who just wants a grab-and-go coffee, it is, it's, it's of that quality. Um, but I hark back to this thing about the consumer wanting a bit of theatre as well, right? And, uh, and so this barista-made coffee that, that we're doing now, it's got sound, it's got motion, it's got colour to it. And I think there's a group of customers who are going to want that, the Bowser Bean customer, the, the um, Urbanista customer. So I think whatever you decide to do, um, in petrol convenience, my my thing is do it well, right? You know, I, I've, you know, I've got a, a young daughter and I've always said to her, I don't care what you decide to do in life, just don't half do it, right? Do it well. And I think we're starting to see people doing it well. They pick their mark, they, they go off and they do that and they find their customer. Theater is such a great word to use for this because I run into so many people who tell me it's really important for them. It takes more time. And it costs them more employee-wise, but it's really important for them to know their customers are watching them make it, and because they know it's fresh, and and it's so important. The dollar coffee, did you try it and did you like it? Yeah, look, I I, I actually do. There are there are moments where that dollar coffee works for me, and and you know you're either in a rush or you or you want to just grab it and walk somewhere. Um, so look, it does work, and it is it is a good coffee. It is a good coffee. You know, I, I I don't adulterate my coffee. I don't put sugar in it. I don't put milk in it. I I need a good coffee because that's all I'm drinking. 
Um, so I don't mind it. Um, are there better? Oh yeah, there's better. Um, but but you know, at that time and place, it's good. You know, and and look, I I call out Coles here. So Coles supermarkets uh, own convenience stores as well, and and so their challenge to the um, 7-Eleven dollar coffee was to produce a Coles 80 cent coffee, right? Now, for me, that's the dumbest marketing program in the world, you know? Um, If you're gonna call yourself out to be different, it's not about price. It's about how you present your product to somebody. And 7-Eleven won that ground and they did it well and and others are winning that ground uh, with a high level of uh, quality input into their product at a higher price yet we're all selling well. Um, but, you know, 7-Eleven, they've got, I think, I think there's 600 service stations now and stand, plus standalone, they're probably at about 800 uh, or 900 sites. They sell a lot of coffee. What about cold brew or Australians drinking cold brew? Yeah, look, it's starting to come in. I'm not necessarily seeing it at convenience stores yet, um, but definitely your standalone coffee environment, without a doubt. Yeah, cold brew's starting to happen. You know, you mentioned something about presentation, though, and what really stood out to me at Jack & Co. So, Al, to your point, like, you, you could see people making the food behind the counter, which I agree. I mean, that just, like, changes the ambiance of the store immediately. Oh, but yeah. So he has this cooler right in front of the door, and you walk in, and, you know, I'm sure there's a term for this that I'm just forgetting, but those sort of, like, triangular-shaped sandwich containers where you have, you, you cut a sandwich diagonally, you flip it in half, and then you have two stacks yeah. that are kind of like a triangle. So he had one of those containers, and... It, it was kind of the color of cardboard, but he puts a fresh sandwich into that and seals it and then puts a stamp on the front. Oh, nice. So, you know, the stamps are all sort of off and like yeah. moved around the box. So it, it looks authentic. It looks like it was, you know, handled by a person and not a machine. But then when we went to some other stores, I don't know if they were just trying to copy him or if it just, it's just a nice look that a, couple, a lot of people have the idea for. But they tried to do something similar, but here's where it didn't work. They had nutrition facts on the back with tons of different ingredients yeah they had um very sort of corporate looking logos this just felt like a single like black stamp bam on the front and it's a fresh sandwich and i tried one it was fantastic but it's just like how great is that you're in a hurry you go in you grab it from the cooler pay and leave and it's a freshly made sandwich you don't have to wait on um but the just just little details like that is what really stood out of that store to me. Oh, people yeah. love that kind of stuff. They do. And if you're making it fresh, you can put different ingredients in. Like you, you think if someone's making a pre-packed fresh sandwich but at a factory and they know it's going you know, to be made at 5 o'clock that afternoon, it's going to be stuck in a package, it's going to be shipped into a box, it's going to get shipped into a truck, it's going to get driven across town, it's going to get opened by someone at 8 o'clock in the morning, blah, 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 right? So because of that, they're going to hold up on what wet ingredients they put in there, right? So you're probably not going to get a lettuce in there. Um, They're going to shy away from tomato if they can, you know. So you end up with, you know, you end up with a chicken and mayonnaise blend with some avocado on it, right? That's what you... You you go to somewhere where they're making it fresh, you're going to get your lettuce, you're going to get your tomato, you're going to get all this wet ingredient that you wouldn't normally have because they know... The, you know, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was making the sandwich there, put the seal on it, it was on the count. It was there to be sold, right? And then someone grabbed it and it was gone. Now, the life of that sandwich was probably no more than about three hours, right? From, from go to woe. When, you, when you're bringing it in in that longer supply chain, that, life, that, 
that's a 24-hour sandwich or more, really, depending on, on how, oh, how your supply chain works. Um, you know, so I think it's important that, that you're, you know, we come back to this point about pick your market, pick the product you want to put into that market, and then do it and do it wholeheartedly. Don't go halfway. Yeah, and that's honestly, I think that's a problem I see with some, you know, just some retailers in the U.S. It's like everyone's got that bacon, egg, and whatever meat, you know, breakfast sandwich. Everyone has the same, the same basics, really. And but none of that really stands out. I, I mean, you know, the basics can work. I, I mean, Casey's General Store does a great pizza. Like, let's be honest. I mean, I live like five minutes from their headquarters, and their breakfast pizzas ain't just off the charts, incredible. But, um, you know, you've you just got to make it a little bit more interesting. What really stood out with that packaging is like we're so used to seeing these like crinkly plastic containers that honestly make a product look a little worse when you're grabbing a sandwich in one of those and to see just like how he thought through how I can um, do the packaging a little different. It's, it's just those little details that make it really stand out. And I mean, that's one of the things that most impressed me about that store. Yeah. And that's just, that's, that's making your brand ethos a reality. That's, that's saying this is the type of outlet we want to be. This is the type of community we want to create and, and, and going full force with that. You know, and, and, and in other communities like, you know, in, in the Endeavour brand, um, so, you know, we're in, we're in more regional communities, uh, more rural style communities, right? So, you know, our ethos there is that we are, we're stable in your community. So because of that, our store um, has products that that community recognises. So we're not cookie cutter. We're not saying we've got to do the same thing everywhere. So in, you know, in, a, in, in one area, we might do more uh, seafood style things because we're down near the beach and those sorts of things. In another area, we might be more on pies and, and that sort of food because, you know, our clientele um, uh, dictates that. So, you know, I think what, what we've got to do sometimes is say it is about the brand we want to produce, the, the feeling we want to have, and the products behind them can change. They, can, they don't always have to be the same. And uh, I, I, I start to see that more with the, with the smaller, more nimble operators again who are, who are making that happen. And I gotta be honest, I'm always kind of fascinated by like how people get really attached to certain brands. Um, I, told, I told a few people here at the show today, twice last week I saw people in Des Moines, Iowa, of all places, wearing Bucky's t-shirts. <laughs> it's not a wow. Bucky's for you know qu- quite a ways. You gotta, I mean, yeah, it's on drive down I thirty five for a long way, and you're gonna get to one eventually, but it's nowhere near Des Moines. And yet, I see two of those shirts going around the mall. And but I guess I don't know. So it's always felt to me like the tipping point is like, will they wear your clothes? Yeah, <laughs> it's like when they start wearing your logos, like Sheets. They've got a merch store online. Yeah, it's a whole separate merch store. They send. They've started doing this thing where they'll get on and play games on Twitch with their customers, their social media team will. So they're on playing Rocket League, PUBG, and all these games, and they'll send care packages with branded merch to them, and people just go crazy. I watched a pod, podcast recently uh, where a guy's wearing a come-and-go t-shirt. Yeah. And I don't know, I guess I always felt like that's the tipping point. And what's, what's unfortunate is I feel like we, especially on the fuel side, we have a lot of old brands that are out there that have a lot of unlocked brand equity, but... The question is like, how do you get back to making those mean something and like make it to where somebody would proudly wear that on their clothes, not because they sponsored a sports team, but because you like the brand. Yeah, yeah. And look, you can. Part of it is not being corporate. 
You can be big, but you don't have to be corporate. You know, you can you can be successful, but you don't have to make everything cookie cutter. And uh, and you can create a, a, a brand ethos, um, but you got to live it. And uh, and I, I see it. I love Maverick. You know, where adventure starts. Who would have thought? That, that you could call a service station convenience store where adventure starts. Like, what, like when, when you think about it, you go, what the hell does that mean? But when you see it in action, you go, wow, this is just fantastic, you know? And, uh, and you know, I don't know the Bucky's brand, but, but um, you know, the fact that, that people outside that network want to wear that brand because it's got something cool about it is is really good and i think you know unfortunately in australia we've been dominated too long by exxon mobile corporate bp corporate shell corporate and we're starting to see hopefully that change now and uh and i i really hope we see a maverick style brand one day um that that corners that sort of market and uh and and really shows the the you know, the quality that, that thinking differently can bring to convenience. So now one thing I wanted to ask you, you have the chance, it sounds to me, to re- you actually travel quite a bit. What are some of the, what are some of the favorite stores that, that you've seen? Just anywhere, really. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. So, look, I, I mean, when I'm here in the U.S., I, I love your, your big highway format stores just going in. They're like, you know, they're like shopping malls. They're, they're fantastic. You know, they've got all these great things. There. I, haven't, I haven't had the opportunity yet in the U.S. to go and look at those quirkier style highway stores. You know, and I'll hark back to your presentation when you're in Australia, Frank, and you, you know, some guy selling liquor and he had a spa bath in the, near the drive through and the... You know, all that quirky stuff. I think, you know, that, that, some of that would be great to see. Um, look, I, I do travel a lot around the Asian countries. And, of course, petrol convenience is really different there. Um, you know, it's not... It, 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 it's still that older style convenience. So I think they've got a long way to go. But, but if I look at what's going on in Australia and the brands and things I like in Australia, I like... Bowser Bean, I think um, what, what the guys at Vantage are doing is really good there. There's a group called On The Run who are a great multi-brand retailer. So they're going to have Subway in there. They're going to have Wok in a Box in there. They're going to have uh, Krispy Kreme. And they're, they're doing a really good sub-brand store, which, which is really nice. There's a, there's a guy in South Australia, uh, Steve Cosmetes, and he's got a, he's got a brand called X Convenience. And he, he is doing a food service store that's really starting to look schmick. It's, uh, it's got great gloss black tile interior. He's doing fantastic burgers. Um, he's got, in, in his, some of his keynote stores, he's got a, a cold vault to die for. It's just fantastic. Um, so, I, you know, I, I like that as well. So I think... Um, and then look through Europe, the, the, what they're doing in the UK around bringing that, that Marks and Spencer types experience into the store and those sorts of things is really good. I, before 2008, Spa was doing some great stuff in Ireland around a multi-branded in-store experience. They had, you know, um, uh, Harris Tea brand and they had this Jungle Juice brand and they had a few things like that that was, that was working really well. So... Yeah, you get to see a lot of different things. I don't know that anything yet for me has been an ultra standout that I'd say, you know what, that, that's, that's fantastic. I'd, I'd try and replicate that. I'd just look at bits and elements out of all of it. 
Nick, what's, what's going on with tobacco in Australia? I know that, uh, you know, we, we've got a lot going on in this country with, uh, uh, you know, the vaping, uh, the CBD, and, of course, oh, vaping, uh, CBD, that kind of stuff. So what, what's happening in tobacco? Frank told me that tobacco products are through the roof over there. Oh, I saw your prices. And, I mean, yeah. did I see that correctly, that it was like 35 to 50 Australian dollars for a pack of cigarettes? Yeah. How do people afford to smoke over there? Well, the government hopes that they can't. <laughs> That's really weird. So, yeah, look, tobacco laws have become very stringent in Australia. So the first step uh, was what, what was called dark. So you were not allowed um, to show the product in store. They had to be in a cupboard uh, or, or, or um, uh, behind the counter where you couldn't see them. Uh, and, and, look, that started to deter people because, they, you know, they wondered whether you had it. Um, and then we went to plain packaging. So at least when you open the cupboard under dark, you could see all the brands, you know, the blues and the reds and the whites of different brands and the like. Um, now everything is exactly the same colour. The font on the packet is exactly the same size. So it, it, you can't differentiate product. Um, and so a couple of things have happened because of that. Um, it's become a, a price-driven market, and I'll get to your point in a second, Frank. But but consumers, because they can't say I want a, they can say I want a packet of Marlboros, right? And and Marlboros, we still have that as a brand, but it looks exactly the same as Winfield. Um, so people are now saying, well, look, I'm I'm probably more smoking for the cost of it rather than than the brand of it. Um, and to try and combat that, the tax just keeps going up and up. So, you know, when we're retailing a packet of cigarettes, greater than 50% of the cost of that packet is tax. So the tax is, is huge. It's amazing. So, look, the, the government is trying to drive it uh, out, of, out of consumers' hands. Um, as an industry, it's interesting. So our stick count is down. We're selling less sticks. Our bankable dollar is up because, of course, we're banking the tax that we pay in advance when we buy the cigarettes. So when you look at it as a category in store, on a dollar terms, you go, oh, it's growing still, right? But when you really look at the underlying flax, it's, it's a declining product. And look, to a point, it, I mean, it used to be the mainstay of a service station. You know, it was the thing that, that really kept people coming in and the tills uh, ringing. Um, but of course, that's falling away, and that's why food service and coffee. You know, I suppose if you're not drinking, uh, not smoking, hopefully you're, you're taking in coffee. Um, so I think that that's that's one thing about about products in Australia. I, I'll take it a bit further though, meaning there's there's talk in Australia now of of a sugar tax, right? So a tax on on confectionery and soft drinks, and and you know, and maybe on fats. So depending on what the what the um, makeup of a food product might be, um, they're talking about taxing that higher. And only yesterday there was a report in one of the um, newspapers in Sydney, the Sydney Morning Herald, saying that in the age group from 14 to 25 or 30, um, they're saying in that age group, greater than 50% of the population would be considered overweight or obese. Um, so the government's really concerned about the statistics. And so there is talk about a fat tax. Uh, there is talk about a sugar tax to go with what's happening with tobacco. Um, so, yeah, I think we're going to come under fire in some of the key areas of our stores. 
Um, you know, and the other key difference is we, we can't sell alcohol in convenience stores in, in Australia either. Really? So, yeah. Wow. So, you know, it's um, the, the alcohol uh, lobby or the hoteliers lobby in Australia is a very strong lobby and they've done very well at keeping it out of convenience stores. I, look, I think ultimately it probably will come into store. Um, but we are under a fair bit of attack from the government uh, and the regulators around tobacco, sugar, fat at the moment. What about uh, a big thing in this country is CBD? Now we're seeing it. I know where I live in Louisiana, we're seeing the CBD signs pop up in convenience stores everywhere. Uh, what are, yeah. are, is that something? No, like that? so cannabis uh, products in Australia, banned, right? So we, we one state or two states now have open the market for medicinal um, so it has to be prescribed by a chemist uh, by a doctor um, it can only be issued by certain chemists so to to go from that to selling um, even if the uh, THC is removed from the product to go selling cannabis style or hemp style products in our service stations that is a long way away in Australia so no cannabis cafes nothing like that no no one one state or it's uh, to be technical, it's a territory, but let's forget that. One state in Australia, the ACT, um, legalised the carrying of cannabis, the growing of no more than two plants per person, right? And there's talk that they're going to get lobbied so hard by everybody that they're going to have to repeal the law. Wow. Why do you, why do you think that's slower to happen over there? Um, oh, why? I Meaning, do I think Australia is a less liberal society? I don't think so. Um, I, I, I just think that, that when you talk about a majority or, or, or even a minority in a country like the US where the population is so big, it is a large number of people. Um, I think our population in Australia is, is such that, that even if you, you have a voice around um, the legalisation of cannabis... It's not a big enough voice in the end. No. I mean, are, do you think people are generally in support of it? Look, I think so. I think there's generational change going on here, meaning the, the fact is is that, yes, maybe the, the, the regulations uh, through the baby boomer era and those sorts of things were set one way, but I think the, the, you know, the demographic that's now coming through have very different opinions about a whole lot of things. And, uh, and I think um, certain drugs um, like um, cannabis are ones where people feel a bit more liberal about them. Um, but look, it, it, it takes time and political courage to change some of these laws. And um, what I see in Australia is our political cycle is so short um, that no one's got the courage to make any long-term decisions like that. You know. Interesting. So one of the questions that I, I had was, it, you know, I, I get this all the time when I talk to folks here in America, especially mm-hmm. the small independents. Do you how do you retain your employees? And, and do you have an issue with the revolving door when it comes to employees? Good question, Alan. Look, employees, they're, they're, they're it for your business. They're, they're at the coalface. As owners of the business, we... You know, we, we, we hand the keys to a group of people and have to trust them to get that job done and done well. Um, and, and so it's important to create the environment for longevity. Now, I, 
I'm going to take my I own service stations hat off for a moment and put I used to run the industry association hat on. Um, and, and I made employment and training a very important part of what our, what, what, um, our industry strived for, good employment, good training. And we, the reason I tell you this is we bought a training business and, uh, and, and changed it around and last year trained nearly 30,000 people uh, wow. in Australia who work in convenience stores. Um, the total uh, employment pool for at, at any single moment for convenience in Australia is about 45,000 people. But when you look at churn, it grows to about 65,000, 70,000 people, right? So um, getting people, getting them trained and getting them right is very, very important in our industry. And what I do now put my business hat on, what we do is make sure that when someone comes in they're, they're well-trained day one, so they feel comfortable about being there. Um, they're, they're in a position where um, they've got great support structures around them from employees who are in there to the management of the people uh, that work with them. So look, my view is it's, it's incumbent on um, retailers to make sure their employees feel comfortable it's incumbent on retailers to make sure the employees know the rules, right? Because I think a lot of what goes on about people feeling disgruntled about their workplace and wanting to leave and the rest is that those ground rules aren't actually set day one. And, and people believe that they can do something and when they do it and get caught out, they feel disgruntled. Whereas I think if the parameters were laid out with enough space to, to you know to to fill with their own um, energies and and thoughts that's fine um, but but to to put it there so you know the, the they know where the electric fences are so to speak you know I, I, I sometimes say and I used to joke to my daughter actually as I was bringing her up I, I used to say I'm a sheepdog right I'm just here to nip at your heels to keep you off the electric fences and keep you going in a certain direction um, but you don't have to travel the same path I travel. And, and the employees are the same, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what the paddock looks like. I'm gonna tell you if you're getting too close to one of the fences, but outside that, make your own path in this paddock so that you can feel comfortable about the work you do. Good answer, good answer. So uh, how's the pay for uh, employees in convenience stores in Australia? Yeah, so look, and this is an interesting question because we have, we have very different um, labour laws between the two countries, right? So, you know, in Australia, most of our employees would be casual. And on a, on a Monday to Friday, the casual rate is about $26 per hour for work, right? And then on weekends, that would go up to probably 26 and probably go up to about 37, uh, $35 an hour. Right. So now that seems high, right? When yeah. you compare it to a US style employment system. So our labor cost is high. We don't have tipping and, and those sorts of things where the employees, where the consumer bolsters the pay for the employee at a service station, that would be almost unheard of. Um, so, and look, that's part of a social safety net that the Australian government believes should be in place. And each year they, they review the minimum wage and, and can change that. And look, I, 
as long as everybody in our industry is playing by the same rule, right? And as long as our consumer knows that that's going on, then that's an okay system, right? And if we're all paying that amount every hour, that's great. The unfortunate thing that's gone on in Australia just recently is that some operators in the country have decided that they can't afford to stay in business paying that sort of money and have therefore cheated or gamed the system. And they've been caught out and they've paid fines and had to pay the money back. Um, I'm all about a, a person getting a fair uh, rate of pay for a fair day's work to the point where a trainee in our business gets paid as though they're a full-time employee the moment they turn up, right? No, not this internship, you know, I, I wouldn't expect my young daughter to work for free for anybody. I think that's unfair. Um, so I don't expect it in our business. So we hold that uh, very true to our hearts. And I think that's why, you know, we, we, we're, one of our employees, I, I wrote her a note the other day, meaning she's celebrating 25 years in our business. Um, working as a console operator, casual, talking to our customers. And she's been doing that for 25 years. Oh. Um, so that, you know, that, that to me is important. That, that shows me that we've treated our people fairly. Now, what does casual mean? So casual, good question. So in, in the Australian lexicon, a casual worker is someone who uh, would work maybe one or two, three shifts a week. Um, uh, they come in on call um, when we set up the rostering for the site. Um, so a full-timer would work, um, would be guaranteed 38 hours a week, would be a full-time job. A casual might do six hours or four hours or 20 hours. Um, and it's a phenomenon in Australia that's actually growing. We, there is a casualization of the workforce in Australia. There's not so much full-time work anymore. Though the full-time rate of pay is a lot, is lower, right? So you know how I said a casual earns $26 an hour? A full-timer who would be guaranteed 38 hours a week would earn about 15 to $17 oh, an hour. Wow. But then they get what we call loading. So they, if they go on a holiday, they get paid to go on a holiday. They get, they get long service um, payment as well. So you accrue these, these levies on their behalf and then when they get to a certain trigger points, you would pay that to them as bonuses almost. So casual is what we call part-time. Yeah, you'd probably call it part-time. And, and what about health insurance benefits, that kind of thing, or do you all have... No, so we have a universal health scheme in right. Australia. So we, um, out of our income tax, everybody pays for health. Um, so incentives for employees in Australia aren't built around any sort of insurances or anything. You know, some more senior level employees might uh, get a vehicle if, if they've got an area that requires them to go to a few shops, um, those sorts of things. But no, your rate of pay um, it delivers to you the money that you need to live off. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, and one of the things that I keep hearing come up in the U.S. is, so assuming like maybe you don't have the flexibility to increase pay dramatically and attract somebody that way, like what are some of the other things that you can really do that someone, you know, sees as more beneficial and, you know, makes them want that job more? And, you know, I was in a station the other day and there were a couple employees there who were having a very loud discussion with each other about the inflexibility of the hours at the company they work for. And I got to be honest, I, I was on their side after hearing some of the things they're saying. And it's just a, they seem to really feel like 
when something comes up or a family member sick or whatever, like they just didn't have the flexibility to get that time off and maybe, you know, move a shift around. But then they were also being scheduled at just horrible times that didn't match with their lifestyle. And honestly, I won't be surprised if those folks quit. Um, but I've heard a lot of, you know, in the restaurant, like I used to work in a restaurant and we had the ability to trade shifts with people, you know, kind of move our own schedule around if we needed. Um, what, I mean, what are some of the things that retailers are finding um, in Australia that's yeah, that's, that's working. Flexibility is important, especially nowadays. You know, uh, I, I'm guessing it's a phenomenon you see in the US, but but you know, um, couples, um, both both uh, partners in a partnership are working, and and if they've then got a family, they're they're juggling a whole lot of things. You know, um, so you you end up in a situation where you do need to become flexible because one partner might have a full-time job that's more daytime and and therefore the the stay-at-home partner for that part of the day needs to be there for that Um, the best employees or the best sites that we own are ones that are usually staffed by middle-aged women right and in a small community those middle-aged women sort themselves out unbelievably well we we hardly hear boo from them right because they know when margaret's got to be at the at the local fair and they know when the kids have to be picked up from school and they know that you know joe who's working there whose wife's got a marketing job with a company in town has to be home at this time for the kids and all those sorts of things so what we find is is they they really build a great roster and uh and really create the flexibility that the that the location needs um, I think the best thing is, and I'm seeing this now, is that um, you, you introduce into that a couple of maybe 18 or 19 year old boys and girls who are you know, coming. We, we love taking on kids coming straight out of high school, looking for their, you know, their first real summer job. And, and we're a great environment for them. We do offer them good training and they, they come in and, and it's a lively environment. I mean, your service station's always busy. Uh, you know, it's not like sometimes in a florist or a dress shop or a supermarket where it might be a bit quiet, especially in a regional town. And these, these young people come in and they've got like 10 mothers telling them what to do and where to be and all this oh, sort of that. stuff. And uh, so that's, that's a lot of fun. But look, to get back to your point, flexibility is in employment in this day and age is incredibly important. And we put that in the hands of the group that are running the service station. You will never create flexibility from the head office, uh, meaning the head office looks at a site and is just rigid about a whole lot of things at that site, you know, and, and being flexible with employees is just so hard for head office. Yeah, I have a middle-aged woman at my house and some 18-year-old, 19-year-old kids, and it's worked out really well for me. Yeah. I, I wish they'd uh, unload the dishwasher occasionally. And, yeah, yeah, so do you Do you have a black and white striped shirt and a whistle? Is I'm that... going to get one now because yeah. I, I like your story. I'm yeah. going to get one. I think if they all had uniforms, it would be great. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be able to tell them apart. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the quarterback? At the grass. <laughs> so now one of the things – I've got to ask you about, we were driving around and you just asked me if I've ever heard of Mackers. Ah, Mackers. Have you ever heard of Mackers? Never heard of Mackers. Ah, so McDonald's. McDonald's, Mackers. I love that. So Australians (laughs) are great at shortening everything, right? You know, so a utility, you know, your utility or your pickup truck, as you guys would call it here. In Australia, that's called a ute, right? Ute, I love that. It's much more efficient. Exactly right. And, and, you know, if you, if you had a friend called John, he'd be Jono and, and, 
and you know, and 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 Barry would be well, Barry, <laughs> but but McDonald's became Macca's, right? Wow! To the point where um, a, a good American friend of mine now, he was over uh, in Australia for the first time. It was the first time I'd ever met him. Anyway, we're walking down the street, and he sees this golden arch sign, and then the word Macca's next to it. Wow! And he turns to me and said. Why have McDonald's not sued those guys for taking their logo? And I said, because it's McDonald's. <laughs> wow. But yeah, so it's Macca's. Love that. Yeah, in Love fact, it. I noticed that Burger King is Hungry Jack as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, saw, that's a licensing thing, but uh, yeah, it, it's Hungry Jack. I saw Hungry Jack, home of the Whopper, and I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. That feels weird. That feels weird. Are you guys getting the... Uh, the the this meat that's plant-based meat over there the the ham and, and yeah how so are they going over well we are in fact al you're amazing the way you brought up stories that have just been reported most recently in the in the papers in australia but a, a mate of mine by the name of nick hazel yesterday launched v2 food and he was backed by um the owner of hungry jacks in australia wow so the guy who owns Hungry Jacks in Australia just backed my mate who is making meat-based products out of legumes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. I think here it's, it's like, uh, I want to say it's, it's, there's some coconut in there, there's uh, soybeans, mm. stuff like that. And ha- have you tried it? Uh, no, I haven't yet. I haven't. But uh, I, I actually text my friend Nick Hazel this morning and said, fantastic news. And he said, yeah, you're coming over. We're going to have, uh, we're going to have V2 steak burgers. So, wow. uh, yeah. So he, he says it sizzles like meat. He says it, it, it caramelizes, so it changes flavor depending on, the, on how long you cook it for. Um, so, yeah. And, and so, look, it is, you know, it, it's, it's no longer just a phenomena uh, of change. It is becoming reality. And, uh, and look, when, when I look at it, and I, you know, I go back again to my daughter, being, she, she brings the new world to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and her new world is about, it's about the environment, it's about climate change, you know. And, and she said to me the other day, you know, whilst meat tastes good, cows are pretty inefficient, um, <laughs> you know, and they hurt the climate and they do those sorts of things. So she's, she's, she's um, a vegetarian. And, uh, and now with these plant-based uh, meat products and things, I think there's a, there's a real opportunity for change, for good, um, not only in um, what we might be doing for the environment, but maybe what we might be doing for people's health as well. Well, I'm, I'm impressed with some of the things going on. We had, and Frank, he eats very healthy. And, uh, you know, I can't believe I'm sitting here alive because I eat really badly but well, you had to travel a pie well yeah you know we're gonna buy <laughs> it i'm guessing frank didn't need to travel a pie oh god uh, wait did you try the traveler pie uh you know i did and um i took a bite because i was like wait a second i've seen these recently yeah. and one of the stores that we visited they actually supply the products for which was really cool so i was talking to them and i i you know i eat pretty bad at the trade shows because i want to try everything just to yeah. see how just how it tastes and you know be better educated about it um, but you know, like on, on our road trip, uh, last year, it was kind of funny to see how we, <laughs> you know, although I got to say, you've actually lost, uh, you've lost a lot of weight since last lost year. Lost a ton of weight. Learned a lot on our road trip last yeah. year. And, and at the NAC show, I learned, uh, that, uh, there's a label here in America on everything you buy. And I learned that if you read that label, 
tells you what's in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I've yeah. lost a bunch of weight and, uh, you know, quit uh, the uh, high fructose corn syrup and everything. And it's really kind of changed our lives, you know? Yeah, look, I, I mean, we have the same labels in Australia and people are starting to turn to those as they... But look, when you when you go in and you want an ice cream, I'm not looking at a label. Yeah. I'm no. eating the ice cream. You know, and, and I, you know, Frank was, uh, Frank uh, introduced me to, uh, was it grass juice or something last year? Oh, I had, so... You, I mean, you've had wheatgrass, right? Yeah. And um, we all know wheatgrass is a little strong. Well, I didn't tell Al about this beforehand. <laughs> I just asked him to take a shot of wheatgrass, and you should have seen his face. Uh, it, it tastes like the yard. Yeah, it, you yeah. know, I mean, you know, it 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 tastes like you would think grass would taste. But to Frank's credit, it took him up to a little place where they serve Cajun food, and he ate something we call boudin, which is. Uh, uh, a really amazing, uh, it, it's basically like a rice dressing in a casing, and it's filled with what I like to call exotic meat, and uh, without being specific. And, and Frank seemed to like that, so I was very impressed with that. And then they'll, to take it to frying to the next level, they'll take this stuff, make it into a ball, batter it, and deep fry and it. Deep fry it. Deep fry it. <laughs> so it, it's, it's a, quite an experience, and Frank uh, just, I think, jumped into it. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, and, you know, what, what really caught my attention is, I mean, you've got stores in your area, convenience stores, that are selling amounts of boudin that, like, any quick-service restaurant would be happy to sell. I mean, these guys are on par with, like, major QSRs for, you know, sales in a single store. It's insane. It is. Um, I mean, I don't want to name any names, but one of them, I was told by the architect who designed it, that they're moving 400 grand of boudin a month out of this store. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Right. And, and, and what's it's, interesting. And it's cheap boudin. I, I mean, not cheap quality, but cheap price, but yeah. they're moving that volume. And what's interesting is they're making it, every store is different. They're not buying it from a supplier, they're making it right there. It's everybody's recipe. And uh, I mean, uh, people are very passionate about it. You know, and speaking of the, you know, vice and nice and the healthy and indulgent, though, I, I mean, I think some of that does come back to, I, I mean, there's, there are maybe some generational differences a little bit, but to the point about your daughter, I'm curious, like, what are, what are you noticing are the things about her generation that are the most different from, from your own? Well, they're driving less, meaning she doesn't own a car, right? So that, that, that to me is interesting and challenging. She lives in Sydney, right? Yeah, she does. So public transport's better. But look, what am I seeing that's different? Um, Look, they're interacting with the world um, through electronic means. And I don't don't mean that begrudgingly. I think they're interacting with the world highly efficiently because of it. Um, So, you know, this this idea of maybe ordering ahead and and going into the convenience store and picking up is something that they, they will just do intuitively, right? They're questioning a lot, so they, they, you know, Providence is a is an important part of their uh, of her choice of, of food and the elements that go into food. So, they're 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 questioning um, the retailer. They're questioning themselves about what they want, and I think that's that's something that's really important. Um, I, you know, and I don't necessarily know whether it's only her group, but they. They even in themselves with with how they buy their clothes, with how they interact with their friends, they're they're going back to a. I believe they're they're moving back to a more simpler um, uh, communication and a more simpler uh, system, which is interesting. And and it might just be her friends. And what I mean by simpler, they're not. She's not confusing um, quality of life with commercialism. 
Um, she's, she's looking for quality, yes, uh, but looking for it in different places and, and different spaces. And, you know, she talks about where, where she lives in inner city. She talks about the great bakeries that she goes to to eat. And she talks about the, the, the new town area where she lives in Sydney, which is just now starting to fill with so many different food and fashion and all these other elements that are a bit more independent and, and not so much H&M and, and, and those big brand driven, you know, Forever 21 type stuff. Um, so I, I, I get a sense that there, um, that, that her generation, especially now she's, she's 22, that her generation of friends are, are really quite mindful. And, and I think retailers need to understand that. And I think we need to be serious about how we engage with that mindfulness. You know, um, I think sustainability is at the top of their list. I think, um, uh, you know, this, this, where is my food coming from? How is it getting to my plate is important here. Um, you know, they think about alternate energy sources around, you know, she questions me about electricity, but also about hydrogen and what is that gonna mean for personal transport and those sorts of things. So I, I, I see these things, you know, what, what my generation, I'm not a baby boomer, uh, I'm, I'm one generation below, but my generation put very different things at the top of the list to what I'm seeing now. So do you find, are, are C-stores looking at millennials and trying to figure out how to target them and get them in? Because it was interesting at the show today, I had several people in the new exhibitor section tell me about why the way the packaging and the portion size would be attractive to millennials. Are, are you seeing that in Australia? Um, I'm seeing people think about it. I'm not seeing people execute on it. Um, but, but it is important. It, it, it's what we're going to need to do. Um, and, but even here at NAX, right, I, I, I still see traditional convenience, right? I still see that traditional oh, product yeah. mix and those sorts of things. Because that's where big business is right now. Meaning, you know, these are, these are in some cases century-old companies or, or businesses that have grown to the point where they are today. I think if we come to Nax in, you know, 10 years' time, um, I think those, the, the people you're talking about now who are thinking about the millennial and, and, and trying to create the environment that they would want to uh, purchase products in, we'll see them in the show. And, you know, I... I, you only got to look at technology. The first NAC show I ever went to was in 1996. It was at the MGM Grand in Vegas, right? And there was no technology section, right? And if you look at Connexus now, it's huge. Um, there's so much going on in that area. Um, so, you know, that, that's a sign to me that says those, those hot new products are going to move in and they're going to be millennial-based products. They're going to be things that, that millennials want. Yeah, it's... Um yeah, the technology section of the show is absolutely huge right now. And, you know, one of the things that's at least just been talked about in the trade publications here in the U.S. nonstop for the last year, I, I mean, you can't open one without hearing about Amazon and mm-hmm. what they've done with Amazon Go. Um, what? You, well, first off, have you, have you been to an Amazon Go? Uh, no, we don't have them in Australia, so I haven't yet. I'll be honest, it's, I remember the first one I went to, it was original store in Seattle. And, you know, it's one thing to read about it, but... I, I mean, I hate lines as much as anyone. Like, they can almost ruin Disneyland for me. And, I, I mean, I'm a huge Disney fan, but, like, a bad line will just sour my mood like nothing else. It, it's, it's, I'm just impatient. And to walk in a store and stuff your pockets, almost like you're stealing, 
and then just walk out and get a bill on your phone. It was honestly one of the best feelings. And you know, I think a lot of people that are kind of looking at this wrong because you'll you'll see these folks that are like supposed retail gurus writing for some of these big publications, and one of them put something silly in an article saying calling Amazon Go an employee-less store. And I was like, wait a second, I was just at one of these and there's employees everywhere because they're all wearing a bright shirt like they're at an, you know, solid shirt like they're at an Apple store. And I was talking to one in Chicago and she said, she said, you know what I like about working here? She said, I, and I won't name the company, but she, she worked for a um, major drug, a major drug store that, um, she said it was her and one other person at the store at about any given time. And it made it really hard to stock the shelves because they had to be behind a cash register checking out folks. And one of the things that would come up is someone would say, hey, do you have so-and-so product? And she'd know it's in a box in the back of the store, but her, her manager told her, well, just tell them we don't have it if you can't stock it. And that seemed horribly inefficient to me. And the other problem she'd run into is let's say she gets in a conversation with somebody and wants to talk to them for a little bit. Well, she has to like cut it short because there's another person behind them in line. So at Amazon Go, not once during our like 15-minute conversation did she look antsy or look like she's going to try to go do something else. She just sat and talked to me and told me how much she loves working there. And wow. I caught her while she was stocking shelves. And so it seems to me that that technology almost, almost improves customer service because it frees you away from the register. And, um, I mean, are you guys talking about that too right now? Or what's, I mean... Yeah, look, there's interest in it because you know we're seeing what Amazon goes doing, right? Um, what what I like about what I hear about Amazon Go and your story probably adds to to uh, that my understanding of it is that it allows the consumer to experience the store they want to, right? The way they want to do it, because if there is a, a, a an operator there who's stocking shelves and things, you can still have that conversation like you did. And if you don't want to, you just don't have to and you can go. I think if convenience stores can create that environment, that would be good, that would be beneficial. And, and to do it without a great level of additional employees would be good. You know, but we're still, you know, there's still, regardless of what the story is, you're still grounded in doing things, certain physical things, right? So to say that an Amazon Go is a is a you know a employeeless store is wrong. You still got to stock a shelf. Mm-hmm. And if you look at ninety percent of what a console operator does at a convenience store anywhere in the world, right? It is it's paperwork. It's stocking shelves. It's doing all these other things. It's only a small piece that's actually dealing with that with the customer out of all the tasks that need to go on. Now, if we can not streamline that experience for the customer, but make that experience what the customer wants of it on that moment, then I think that's a great thing to do. You know, and pay at pumps, uh, a good example of that. There are customers who just say, I want to come and pay and go. I'm out of here, right? And we all stood there and went, oh my goodness, why would you do that? You want to get them into store. Right. Right? And you say to yourself, well, hang on. If they're walking into school, into the shop begrudgingly to stand in a queue with a whole heap of other people while they've got a rush in their mind to be somewhere else, let them be somewhere else. Let that happen. Um, you know, and I think Amazon's sort of saying that. Let it happen. The one thing I find very interesting about Amazon is that regardless of what everybody thinks about them as an online retailer, they are coming back to bricks and mortar. Right? They are coming back to something. Because I think human beings need the anchor of the interaction. Right? And that's where convenience stores win hands down every time. 
we can create that anchor for them. You know, that's such a great point because, and that's why I was a little funny about kiosks and C-stores, but I I had a a, a C-store manager in Florida say how important that interaction is. He said, you know, you may not like your spouse, so you leave home, go into a job that you really may not like because you hate your boss. And he said he told his employees that when someone comes in the store, you may be the only person who smiles at them this morning. You might be the only person who smiles at them for the whole day. You might be the only person who has a, a, a decent conversation with them because they're going to a job they hate with a boss they hate. And at the end of the day, they go back to the wife who doesn't like them. So I, I think you're absolutely right there. And, you know, that's been fascinating to me as we've seen the evolution of con- convenience stores to where they are concerned about customer service. They are concerned about the customer experience. It's more than uh, – it, it's not a transaction. It's 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 a conversation. It's 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 an experience, mm. and uh, that excites me an awful lot because what we're seeing in some of the big box retail stores now is less customer service, you know, less interaction. And if you go to some of the big box home improvement stores or some of the electronic stores, uh, it's it's hard to get someone to pay attention to you in those places. And convenience stores, you know. You can get a good feeling when you go in there, especially if you go in there often. They know your name. It's 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 changing, and I mean it's it's been changing for a while. But that's as you know, uh, commerce changes to where it's less personal. In all these other places, mm. you can still go into your local convenience store and get a smile. Yeah, and there'll be someone there, and they'll be part of your community. In most cases, if you're not a traveler, and and it will be, and in, and just that basic recognition. I mean, that's a human condition, meaning I, 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 regardless of how we may have evolved ourselves to, to, the, to the level that we live at today, you know, at the end of the day, we are, a, we are a, an animal that, that loves companionship, that loves communication, that loves touch sometimes, right? And, and if, you, if, if retailers think that they can create their village where none of that happens, then no one's going to go to their village. It's it's not going to it's not going to thrive and survive. But if you can create what you're talking about, then we get to what Frank's talking about. Someone will wear your brand on their shirt. That's a great point. That's how you get them to wear the shirt. You know, and and I'll be honest. I I think the thing that's that's missed about um, the Amazon Go style technologies for the sort of checkout free retail tech is, um, I mean, beyond beyond freeing up. Well, let me put it this way. I mean, we, you guys will remember it more than my age group will, but the credit card imprinters. Remember yeah. those, right? Like, Oh, yeah. I always, yeah. I, I mean, hated them. <laughs> I laugh every year because we sit down to watch these Christmas movies, and if you watch National, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, there's a scene where they, they go um, Christmas shopping, and you just see this, this like, B-roll cut scene of just constant credit card imprinter yeah. swiping. Honestly, I, I mean, I'll throw it out. I think that's what the the, the um, I think that's what the register is. Yeah, it's just another one of those that's going by um, you know the waste bin of history. It's it's going to disappear. We don't need in 2019 to stand in a line and get someone to give us permission to leave. Yeah. I mean, increasingly less so. Uh, I mean, the tech stores like Amazon show that, and but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I was l- actually listening to. I turned on NPR one day, and they had somebody on there who was lamenting the loss of the cashier as a knock on um, customer service. And I'm sitting here thinking, 
I don't need customer service at the cash register. I'm ready to leave. Yeah. Like I've been shopping. I'm ready to go. Like get them away from the register and let them do the other dozens of things that they have to do in any day. We talk about dirty restrooms in a convenience store. Well, if they're not behind a cash register, guess what they suddenly have time to do? clean the restrooms, talk to customers. And so, I, I mean, personally, I'm curious to see where that goes. That, that's a great point. I was in a store on the way over here, and uh, there was one register open, and this lady uh, turns to me and says, well, this is getting like Walmart because there's only, you know, one register open. And I, I, I like going through the self-checkout because I don't have to wait. I go in there, boom, I'm gone. But I think it's going to be a... a a slower transition in some parts of this country because I see it at Walmart. I mean, if there's a human being at a register, that thing's got a line. There are still people who want to go through there. But I am seeing in some Walmarts in my part of the country where there's a little bit of a wait for the self-checkout. But I think it's going to be a progression in some markets. It's going to be a little slower because there's still people, young and older, that that want that yeah. that experience, even though uh, in some busy retail outlets, it's not much of an experience. No. But I, I, I loved your line, Frank. I don't w- want permission to leave. I, I had, That's a great I've line. never thought of that. That is, that, I'm, I'm actually going to take that back to my <laughs> business and say, what, how, do we, how do we remove ourselves from that mentality? Like, we're still rooted in some, I mean, I, we don't have the technology or the, or the money to, to reproduce Amazon Go. But, you know, you're, you're incredibly right. Meaning, you know, we, we, if we look at our forecourt as an example, right, here we are, we've got one person who stands behind a counter who, if required, will authorise the pump for somebody. Right now, on our forecourt, we've got a whole range of products that we could sell somebody. Yet we're as far away from the decision process as we possibly can be. Now, what would it be like if we could upsell from a regular gas to a more premium gas on the forecourt? I mean, that's a that to me is a benefit, right? We bank more dollars off the back of that because it's a more expensive product. There might be more margin in it. Yet we'll stand behind the counter and go, "You just make your choice. We'll press a button." And that choice is made with no real knowledge at all, except I've always bought regular. You know, yeah. Why would I buy premium? Yet we think it's more important to stand there and wait for them to come in and go, oh, now can you give me $50 for what you chose and, and go away? In fact, you know? was I correct in seeing that most of your, most of your stations, you can't pay at the pump? Uh, in Australia at the moment, pay at the pump is is less than than pay in store. Because yeah. the, the design of the pump looks really similar to what I saw when I was in Germany, actually. Um, I mean, I'm, I don't have the words to describe that particular style of pump, but it's, it's very different. I noticed that there were no credit card readers there. Yeah. It, it, look, it, it, it hasn't been a real win in the Australian market. Um, and and for, honestly, I don't know why. Look, the, maybe the technology originally was a bit problematic, but it's not so anymore. I, I think the big thing that, say, a market like Australia has maybe over the US is we can... We could probably leapfrog certain pieces of technology, right? And, and we talk about credit cards, and you talk about the click-clack, right? And, and the way we used to have to do it. And now we've got the opportunity to maybe jump and do it in a soft form on our phone, where it really isn't part of anything physical, right? And maybe pay at the pump can step further and past um, that card reader in pump. So I think some emerging markets and, and, you know, do I call Australia emerging? I think in some areas it probably is. 
Um, we've got the opportunity to transcend levels of technology very quickly and, and actually become, become leaders in our own way. But look, I think again, it boils down to what is your community expecting you to do, right? And if you live in a community where maybe there are a lot of older people who do need that assistance on the forecourt, then my view would be make sure that on certain times of the day or, or all the time, you've got someone out there who can assist them. I, you know, I think the lesson I learned from what Amazon's trying to do and, and maybe others is, is that you don't have to follow everybody else's approach. And I think in convenience for a long time, we've just followed everybody else. And, you know, I mean, Al, we've talked about this, but I think that's what excites me about some of the small independents in the, oh, in yeah. the U.S. I mean, I, I visited a store in uh, Wisconsin. Um, you, you know how it goes. You're, you're driving along and you just see something where it's like, oh, I want to go there. Um, so I turned around because it looked like something was really happening at this convenience store. And turns out they had a petting zoo, <laughs> a full on petting zoo. But it's um, that's the kind of like outside of the box thinking that um, you just randomly find at some of these places. But it's always exciting when you find it because it, it just changes your, your your view of what a convenience store can actually do. I, I think it's so easy. Like, you know, we come to NAX. Um, we have our own trade associations. We have our own events. We have this like internal culture where it's kind of sheltered from some of the other retail channels. They'll have their own events. They'll have their own their own magazines, their own this and that. And we forget that customers don't really see these distinctions. And you don't always have to do what you always did yesterday. Um, I mean, you said you saw a guy in Louisiana selling utility poles at a convenience yeah. store. Yeah. He, he, it's, you know, we have a lot of hurricanes in Louisiana yeah. and he said, Hey, you know, when the, when the power goes out, a lot of times the utility poles are knocked down. He sells the utility poles, everything you need to hook them up, uh, along with a great hamburger, great sandwich and, uh, something we call hog rings, uh, which <laughs> hog are, ring. uh and those go in the nose of the hog so you can pull, oh, pull okay. the hog along. So <laughs> it's, it's crazy what you find in sea stores in Louisiana. Uh, I'm curious, you know, one of the things I've found and, and perhaps Frank's run into it too, the number of small independents who are delivering, uh, for instance, lunch, they'll bring, one guy told me they bring 30 lunches to the prison every day. So they're, they're increasing their sales uh, by just going out and delivering stuff here and there. Are you seeing that in Australia? Um, not, not directly, meaning some brands have gone Uber Eats now and, and Deliveroo or, or whatever some of those food deliveries are. What, what, we, what we see, say, in our, in our communities is they they'll ring up, right? So, you know, technology at its most simple state. They'll get on the telephone, they'll ring up and say, hey, can we order this, this and this and we'll come down and grab it, right? So, so that's been a real staple for us, um, knowing that, that people can get on the phone and do that. Look, I think, I think um, we'll see some of that emerge, that people will do it in their own right. I mean, because I, I look at at some of the products that some convenience stores are putting out, they could be catering services straight out of store. I'm seeing that here, you know, catering weddings. And one of my favorite places up in, I, th- I think it was, was Minnesota, uh, funerals, big deal catering funerals up there. I never, I never thought of a catered funeral, but it's a huge, huge thing. You know, but if you look at a brand like, I mean, we're at Nax looking at brands like Chester's and Crispy Crunchy. Yeah. I, I mean, everyone just kind of goes with those booths, right? I mean, those are sort of companies that honestly I think are better than many of the QSRs in the area and they could easily be catered. Yeah. Straight out of a convenience store. Well, absolutely. I mean, KFC in, in, in Australia ran a really weird social, well, it actually turned into a social campaign and on their Twitter feed, they did a throwaway about 
um, what what would it be like if um, if KFC catered for a wedding, right? Now, it wasn't their idea to cater for a wedding. It took off so heavily in Australia that they said, okay, we're going to cater five (laughs) weddings. I love that. You tell us why you'd have KFC at your wedding. Because people were going like, oh, well, look, if I had, you know, if I had 60 people at my wedding, how big a bucket of of mashed potato and gravy would I need, right? And it all started to happen. And KFC went, you know what? We're going to cater five weddings. There you go, Frank. I'm just thinking, what if Sheets catered a wedding? Oh. And the funny thing is, I bet if they posted that on Twitter, it'd blow up. Oh, yeah. It would go. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it was just... And, and what a great idea. That's the beauty of the way we can communicate and the way we, we now have moved our industry into a position where we can challenge in these environments. You know, I see every day on my Facebook page, on, on the feed that comes in, uh, menus from C-Stores. You know, uh, College Junction Mudbugs is a good example. You know, they'll tell you when they have paws or tongue or rabbit and gravy, and uh, which we love in Louisiana. Unbelievable. Just the name of the store got me. You had me at whatever it was Yeah, called. College Junction Mudbugs. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I mean, is, is that like crawfish or? What? Uh, which one? Mudbugs. Mudbugs are crawfish. Yeah, that's the name yeah, for crawfish. That's what I, but, I guess but the college well, junction part, I'm not sure. Well, they have a little college there. It's right. It's down one, from, you know, so I guess somehow, you know, it's a junction of the college of Mudbugs. Yeah. And it's probably been that name for years. But, yeah. you know, they, they post their menu every day. And uh, I know a lot of people, the first thing you do when you get to work is you start talking about where you're going to eat lunch, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. Like you talk about funny sea store names. We, I used to supply one fuel that was called the Wallabadar Turkey Tank and Tummy. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. It's great stuff. Uh, that is great. Do you guys have drive through windows at sea stores in Australia? Uh, coffee. They're starting to do coffee drive throughs uh, Yeah, that, that's starting to happen. So can you drive to a sea store and, say, order, uh, you know, shampoo, coffee? Because uh, I know here in America... Uh, I'm, again, I'm getting more and more of these little independents. You know, they've got a drive-through, but they tell you, uh, look, you can get anything in the store. If you need a gallon of milk, you know, a sandwich, uh, a six-pack of beer, you know, they, they'll go and do the shopping for you, bring it to the window, you pay and go. Oh, okay. No, we haven't gone that far yet. So you'd, you'd be able to order a coffee and a muffin maybe, and then we'll, we'll drive through and and supply it to you, but not the full story. Yeah, I'm really impressed at, at, at the length they're going through to make it more convenient. I mean, are, are drive throughs at QSRs as popular in Australia as they are in the U.S., do you think? Oh, yeah. So your, your Maccas, huh? your KFC, <laughs> um, your Burger King, they, they, yeah, absolutely, they're, um, they're, they're everywhere. In those. So, you know, before we close out, one, you shared a story that I, if you don't mind repeating, it was fascinating. You used to manage bars, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I... Um, I started off in, uh, well, it was a funny, funny story. So I was supposed to have a career as a professional soccer player and uh, that didn't work out right. So I got a job at a bar and not long after I got there, the owner of the bar went broke and, uh, and I, was, I was a bit of a smart mouth as a 19, 20 year old and I told the landlord what, um, what he should have done to make the place work and the guy said, well, he said, if you uh, can buy the stock off me, you're in business. So, um, yeah, so I opened, uh, I, I had this bar and a food court in, um, in Sydney, and it was the first ever licensed bar and a food court in Australia. And the, the best thing about it was the liquor license said, as long as someone else in the food court sells food, you could sell alcohol. So I could sell alcohol 24 hours a day, if that's what I wanted to do. 
And again, this, I suppose, you know, as a 20 year old, well, as any businessman, you, you, you've, you've got to expand your thinking. So I went and said to the Italian lady next door, can I buy your shop, right? Because I knew I was sitting on a gold mine if I could do that. And of course she held out and held out and held out and didn't do it. And so I said to her, all right, this is what I'll do. On, on these nights of the week, so Thursday, Friday and Saturday night, I want you to stay open all night. You can sell whatever food you want to sell. We will agree on the labour cost and I will pay you the cost of labour. Wow, great idea. So that, so that we stay open. Anyway, this, so the area of the food court could sit 400 people. Wow. And so I used to serve, I used to have waitresses literally on roller skates going all over the place. I had a bar, meaning we're in a hotel room. My bar was no bigger than this hotel room. It was tiny. Wow. And it had cool rooms and, and beer taps and, and we would serve 400 people on a Friday night in the place. Now we got so popular that when there was another bar with a, with a normal liquor license, which had to close at midnight, and he would love it until midnight, and then he closed, and everybody would come out of his shop and come into <laughs> mine, and we go all night. It was yeah, it was a lot of fun. It wow, was a lot of fun. That's a great story. So yeah. So final thing before we end out today, what's your advice to somebody who wants to get into the convenience business today? Wow, that's a that's another hour. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but look, I, I'd have to say. Um, You've chosen a good industry to come into. Let's start there, right? Because we would have to be honest to anybody who wants to step in. If it wasn't working properly, we'd say, don't come, right? But I think it is working properly. And I think I would say, come with fresh ideas, come with the courage to execute them and do it well. I think that's great advice. Great advice. Well, Nick, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks for being on the podcast. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, Frank, Al, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be on your first one. I, I really appreciate that. I love coming to the States. I love seeing what you guys are doing over here in Convenience. And to now to be able to sit and talk with you guys about it has just been fantastic. Thanks, well, thanks for coming. I mean, it, you, know, it's, you know, we're simple, but, you know, I think it's going to be a good podcast. Thanks, thank you. It'll be a fun one. Well, the first one had a great feeling. Well, we had a great guest. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you, Nick. <laughs>